Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, March 18th, 2013. And on this day in history, in 1959, the United States Congress established an act to grant statehood to Hawaii. Five months later, President Eisenhower made it happen, bringing Hawaii into the Union. Mahalo. First up, I spoke with Allison Dalton-Smith from the team over at Uncharted Play about their ball, the socket. I might have gone a little too far with the joke about the broken legs. You guys will have to let me know. I wanted to say welcome to the show, Allison. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Could you tell me about your Kickstarter campaign about the energy harnessing soccer ball? At Uncharted Play, our flagship product is the socket. It's a soccer ball that generates energy by playing with it. And inside of the soccer ball is a pendulum-like mechanism that rotates when you kick it. And the kinetic energy of play is transformed into electric energy and it's stored in a battery inside of the soccer ball. Have you tested how long this uh, kinetic device might last as far as storage? If you play with the soccer ball last Monday and you haven't used it since then, our first accessory is an LED light. You can plug in the light and the socket will still charge the light just as if you had just finished playing with it. How long has Uncharted Play been developing the socket? Uh, The first socket was made in the fall of 2008 for an undergraduate class at Harvard. Oh, no, another one of those college projects. (laughs) I know. Kickstarter is littered with those, man. (laughs) I know, I know. It's really cool. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I hear that you have some very vocal international and government people who have endorsed this project. Yeah, we're very lucky to have enthusiastic, well-known supporters right from the outset. Um, In 2011, Jessica Matthews, our CEO, was asked to participate in a panel at the Clinton Global Initiative University with former President Bill Clinton. And he saw the socket and he had nothing but praise for it. And he said it was just an amazing innovation. And meeting him and listening to him speak inspired Jessica and Julia to found Uncharted Play in May 2011. And I hear that you have an outreach program that, uh, that kind of helps out third world countries or countries that are maybe resource poor. The socket was initially created to help people who are living in energy poverty to alleviate their suffering just a little bit. Well, we've been fortunate enough to have corporate partners who have funded our first pilot programs around the world. So our first partnership was in South Africa with yes. Western Union and the Canadian Somali artist Kanan. And we brought sockets to South Africa and we got feedback from the kids there and figured out how to make the socket better. And then we have also done pilot tests in a number of countries. We did pilot tests in El Salvador, Mexico, South Africa, Nigeria, and Brazil. What has been like one of the biggest changes that has uh, come about through, you know, what the children said? There's two big changes, but probably the most noticeable one is the 
feeling of the socket, the initial socket that was taken to South Africa. It was a hard plastic, so it was kind of feels like the fake wood that you have made out of desks. Not that hard, but similar. <laughs> not that hard. <laughs> not you a broke a few legs in South Africa? Okay, <laughs> yeah, I could see that being a complaint. <laughs> and so the kids loved the idea of it. They were really excited and inspired, but after they played with it for a little bit, they wanted to put the socket away and play with their soccer balls. And <laughs> that doesn't work. It was very good that you listened to those ideas. <laughs> I give you an A plus for that. What about expansion for this product? Uh, are you thinking of any other sort of uh, athletic equipment to put this type of kinetic device into? We would like to expand to having a whole suite of sport products, including a basketball, baseball bat, or a ball a volleyball. What would you like to say to your backers thus far? There's just an overwhelming thank you. There's no way we could have anticipated how enthusiastic and supportive our backers have been. And it's really because of everyone's support that we're able to keep going. And and even when we face challenges, just keep working through it. And every day we're happy to be at work because of you guys. Your socket, soccer ball, you know, Someday you'll have a kickity kickball or whatever, you know. But for 30 minutes of play, you get three hours of LED light. And that's incredible. I mean, that is so cool, man. And and that's a product that is right up the alley for Kickstarter. You know, I mean, it's like a total Kickstarter product right there. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Uncharted Play. I guess you're a for-profit enterprise. That I don't even know how to say it. What's your mission statement? <laughs> Just read it for me. Yes, so our mission is to create fun products that improve people's lives and also keeps the joy of play at the forefront of their lives. See, I couldn't have read it any better than that. And you're (laughs) going to let me struggle there. That's not nice. You're going to let me struggle there. We want you to be part of the team. You're part of the team now. That's why you're the director of communication. See, (laughs) see. And and you're the oldest. See, you you got the most experience. You know how to handle that. Exactly. I'm the old lady at 30 on the team. I want to say thank you for coming on the show, Allison, and uh, good luck with the socket and good luck to Uncharted Play Incorporated. And uh, it looks like you guys don't even need my luck. It looks like you're off on the right foot already. So I wish you the best and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. I say the same thing twice. I'm awkward when I speak. I spoke with Audrey Wissiger. She's a world-renowned figure skating coach and the creator of a unique skating event at Rockefeller Center. I've always loved ice skating. Let's listen. Could you tell me about the event at Rockefeller Center on March 27th that you're raising the money for on Kickstarter? We are presenting works choreographed by participants in the Young Artist Showcase. And that is an online contest for ice skating choreographers. And I am the director of that particular event. So basically what I'm trying to understand is this is not a skating meet. This is something kind of unique. It's not something that the general public normally gets to see. It's the people who actually write the programs, you know, as far as the dances and the moves and stuff like that. It's a chance for them to showcase their works. Absolutely. I would say it's a pioneering opportunity. And most young choreographies do not have this kind of opportunity to have their work seen publicly in a, you know, fantastic venue like Rockefeller Center. So it's a unique event. It's 
very different than your traditional ice skating competition. We've had a lot of input and support from some of the greatest names in figure skating, Kurt Browning, Christopher Dean, Sarah Kawahara. They're all supporters of the Young Artist Showcase. And I think it, it gives the choreographers a chance to create uh, more expressive pieces than they normally would be in a competitive scene. Did you come up with this idea? I did. I'm very, very pleased with myself that I was able to create this concept because I think a lot of, just like anybody, you know, if you're a playwright, typically the actors get the recognition, but it's the person that wrote the material that really starts the spark. And in this case, it's the people that wrote the material, like you said. They're the songwriters, not just the singers. Some of them are also going to be skating. Yeah, to use that analogy. But I do think that it's a deeper level of artistry and development than the skater that takes instruction from the coach and then goes out and performs. Well, this is a very interesting idea. I mean, I checked out your video on Kickstarter and it's very, very vibrant, but I couldn't exactly understand what you're doing. And that's why I wanted to call and get some clarification and, and check into your program. But it's an incredible video and your idea, it does sound unique. It seems as though it gives the general public a chance to see behind the curtains just a little bit of what goes on. I really hope that people will support the efforts of these young artists. Some of them are coming from as far as California. The littlest choreographer, her name is Lee Aiden, and she is just such a beautiful spirit. And she created a piece to the Beastie Boys. You know, she's a young child, and yet that music really spoke to her. And she went out there and just skated her heart out, and it was very intriguing. You know, she ended up winning that category. And I think most people wouldn't think that an eight-year-old would have that kind of creativity, but she certainly has it. It's raw talent, and we want to nurture it. Hi, I'm Layden. I'm, I'm eight years old. I skated at Snoopy's Home Ice Arena. I, I entered this contest because I love just doing interpretives. I feel as though figure skating or that sort of world seems to be patriotic to me. So it seems as though you're performing almost like a service for your country. Do you get that feel, or do people kind of put you in that category? When I was coaching competitively, you have the honor of representing your country. But now I consider these artists global because we had people enter their creative works from around the world. We had somebody from Germany. We had this boy from England. We had entries from Sweden and Finland and Russia. So I'd like to think we are representing anybody, we're representing citizens of the world. This was a a, um, labor of love because this event, obviously, it's not a money generator. It's meant to foster creativity. My last question is, what would you like to say to your supporters and those who are interested in backing you on Kickstarter? I thank them from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of the skating community and all people that love to encourage people that have a dream, these young choreographers have all this fantastic creativity brewing inside of them, and now they have an outlet and an opportunity that without this Kickstarter campaign, they would not be able to participate. So I really want to thank people for supporting us, and it means so much to these young choreographers, and I think to the skating world. Really, you're supporting the sport and the arts when you donate. So every little bit helps. You know, a dollar here and there is going to make a huge difference. Thank you very much, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
This is DJ Grandpa's Crib. I'd like to welcome the executive producer of a game that has caught the attention of Kickstarter. It's called Mage's Initiation, and I'm speaking with Rachel Presser, executive producer of the game. Hi, Dara. Thanks for having me on. Could you tell me about this game? Mage's Initiation is like a fantasy adventure game with some RPG elements, pretty much in the same vein of a Sierra's Quest for Glory. It's a very big influence on pretty much everybody on the team. Our game designer, Daniel Stacy, uh, pretty much like wrote the story. He was inspired something that really focused entirely on magic because right. he always you know, wanted to pick the mage option, you know, in playing RPGs. And because in Quest for Glory, your original choices were to play as a fighter, a mage, or a thief, and always gravitated towards the mage one, and so thought it would be really cool if we did a twist on that and you just have four different classes of mages. What's the life of an executive producer for a gaming company? I have to make sure everything stays on time and on budget. And I mean, I was the one who was pretty much in charge of pretty much setting up the campaign, making sure that all the rewards we were offering, all the stretch goals pretty much stay within the budget we established. And right. I'm also going to be you know, handling a retail increase that we hope are going to arise you know, out of this campaign. We've gotten you know, a very terrific response from the gaming community at large. We're very pleased you know, with a lot of the feedback we've been getting. I've been hearing the stories, especially with the gaming community and maybe with the electronic products on Kickstarter, maybe over-promising or just getting so much demand that they're inexperienced as far as how to handle that type of demand. So oh, I, yeah. I, I guess I wanted to ask you, how is dealing with like a regular big publisher different than dealing with Kickstarter? I know that like some gamers are getting you know, very optimistic, thinking that, hey, Kickstarter is the wave of the future. This is how it's going to be from now on. I think that Kickstarter is definitely providing many wonderful opportunities. Don't get me wrong. There are many games that would definitely not be about to hit the market if it wasn't for Kickstarter. Yes. However, both the publisher model you know, and the crowdfunding model, they each come with their own risks and challenges, their own bonuses and disadvantages. Yes. I mean, for some developers, sometimes they, you know, they really do need you know, that extra funding boost that a publisher would provide just in case of scope creep. You know, but on the other hand, a publisher can also withhold your cash flow. You know, if you don't deliver X milestone by this date or if you deliver the milestone, they're not happy. Right, I understand. I think that both Kickstarter and publishers, they have their role in funding a game. I don't think either one is going away anytime soon. Why did you choose Kickstarter instead of a publisher? Because this is definitely the type of game that is exempl is exemplifying what I, I just said, because this is the type of game okay. that a publisher you know, definitely like, wouldn't be as apt to pick up, because adventure games like have like long been seen like, as a Siberia of the gaming industry. I mean, Himalaya's other trade name, AGD Interactive, which is best known for doing the remakes of King's Quest and Quest for Glory. I mean, they were in the light in the dark, you know, for all those years when in the early 2000s, you know, when adventure games had pretty much all but died. Right. They were the team, you know, that really brought them back out into the light and then helped spur on the adventure game renaissance that we've experienced in the past couple years, but despite this, you know, this resurgence that's happened, you know, publishers still see adventure games, you know, as a risk or something that doesn't really have a big enough consumer base for them to justify 
the expenses. And so that's why Kickstarter has been great in that regard because it's now letting you know, many other developers, you know, all, you know, teams of all calibers, have a platform to connect directly with the people who want to see an adventure game come to fruition. Ah, you've explained it to me very well, and I appreciate it. I have one other question. This is like a novice question. What is sure. an RPG game? It stands for role-playing game. <laughs> oh, gotcha. And so there's all kinds of RPGs out there. I mean, in our case, this is an adventure RPG, meaning that it's a very story-driven game. And for Mage's initiation in particular, there's three quests that you're given by your masters. You must accomplish these tasks in order to get initiated at pretty much as the elementalist of your choice. Right. You get to choose being fire, water, earth, and air. So like hearkening back to Quest for Glory, which this game was heavily inspired off of, you got to choose between playing as a fighter, mage, or thief, and then in later installments, fighter, mage, thief, or paladin if you had an old save file. Oh, okay. And so the thing about playing these roles is that it's going to alter how the game's going to play out. I mean, if you play as a fire mage, for instance, you're going to get different reactions, like talking to other fire mages, you're going to solve some puzzles differently, you're going to have different combat spells, and so this is also a really cool aspect that we hope is going to add a lot of replay value to the people who are definitely enjoying the game. (laughs) What would you like to say to the Kickstarter community, your backers? A big, resounding thank you that you could hear all the way from the Fordham Aqueduct, all the way to Ayers Rock. I love you guys. Thank you so much for making our dream come true. You know, we really couldn't have done this without the wonderful community we've got. Now, Rachel, I'd like to say thank you very much for coming on the show. And for anyone who's looking for more information about Mage's Initiation, uh, classic Sierra-style adventure RPG game, you can go to kickstarter.com and type in Mage's Initiation, and that'll bring you right to it. And if you can't find it there, there will always be links at our homepage, djgrandpa.com. Rachel, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show and for giving me so much information because, like I said, I'm a novice with these games. And okay. <laughs> yeah, so I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much for having me on. <laughs> So I called up Makana, the amazing, versatile Hawaiian slack key guitarist. I tried to interview dude, but I, I just couldn't do it. So we just hung out, talking crap about life, politics, music, and psychics. Yeah, you heard me. Psychics. I hear that you're a guy who likes to surprise the president. It all started back when I was at Long's Drugs in Honolulu. Yeah. And I was shopping for some toilet paper, and I got a call from the White House. Right. They called me up, and uh, they said I had played back there in 2009 at the White House, and so they called me and said they were having a big dinner for all of the world leaders hosted by the Obamas, and that the Obamas wanted to invite me to play music at the dinner. So they can just reach you when you're at the drugstore, when you're at CVS or something like that? The White House can just reach out and touch someone just like that? That's it, man. I think everything's all, like, sci-fi and all this, but no, they just call you up. <laughs> they just call you up. It's no sort of sci-fi. Okay, I got that. Are you a sci-fi type of guy? Because I definitely am. I like sci-fi because you can explore human potential in 
crazy context that, you know, the imagination, there's no limitation. So you get to see how people behave in weird alien contexts. Yeah, I got you. And I also see that or or heard that you're a very political guy. You like to have a soapbox and stuff like that. So do you have anything that you'd like to tell me politically? Yeah, man. You're a world leader. I'm a world leader. I'm That's DJ right. Grandpa. You're the leader I'm of your world, world man. Okay, You're the right. leader of your world. You know, the way I look at life is whatever you believe comes true. So it's not that I like politics. I just don't like people getting involved in my life telling me what's right and wrong or how I should live just to give them an economic advantage over me. Yes. So, And I don't like to see that happen to other people. So I like to use my art and my platforms to inspire people to stand up against authority that's being abused. I like to inspire people to empower themselves and to have a better understanding of how at times and often these days the government and policy is being used against them rather than to serve them. Okay, I understand that. Well, DJ Grandpa is known for never shying away from controversy. So I want you to know that. I got your back, you know. I want you to know that. Sounds good. Okay, now, by the time this interview comes out, your Kickstarter's already over. But you've raised funds so that you can produce an album unlike the other six albums that you produce independently. I'm from Hawaii, so it's Hawaiian music, Hawaiian folk music, and uh, the slack key guitar tradition. It doesn't require a lot of production. So it didn't cost a lot, and I was able to do a lot of that on my own because I'm very well-versed in that music. But I've been writing in other styles. You know, I started writing on the piano. I'm doing some of my music is activism, protest stuff. A lot of people say it reminds them of Elton John. I got some things that are, like, kind of funny and lighthearted. And so yeah. I'm getting into other realms, and I wanted to produce things on a bigger level. So I, I uh, got together with my management, and we spent a year looking for producers and having meetings and stuff. And... We met with some amazing people. We met with Roy Thomas Baker, who produced Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen, yeah. and The Cars. Legendary cat. All these guys, you know, Steve Lillewhite, and everyone was interested, but it was really going to cost a lot more to work with a multi-platinum, world-class producer and the level of studios and musicians that we were looking to engage. So once we settled on an agreement, and actually I'm working now with Ron Nevison, who engineered Zeppelin and The Who. Yeah. I had to come up with the money because, you know, like I said, this is a different level and it's a higher cost, so that's when Kickstarter came into play. Ye come here, gather round the farm. The time has come to sound off the alarm against the ones whose practices disarm. Our right to go and eat food without harm. What would you like to say to your backers? Thank you. I mean, first of all, why go to my fans and supporters rather than just going to a label? Somebody might ask the question, you know, hey, you know, if you're so good, why don't you just go to a label? I didn't want to ask that question. And my fans know this. is I'm fiercely independent. From when I was 18, actually from 14, been turning on record deals and management deals and publishing deals because I wanted it to be the right relationship and I wanted it to be something that wasn't going to steer my art in the direction that it wasn't meant to be. So me being able to not have accountants involved in the artistic process, not have label A&R guys and VPs and marketing guys with their concepts of what's going to sell, just let me do my art and let my fans trust me because they've been supporting me for so long. They already know what I do. And I'm so thankful to them because really I've been playing for 20-something years. and. Building a fan base by going out and doing free shows 
I mean, I just came back from doing an after-school program with kids in Reno. Wherever I go, I do this kind of stuff and reach out to the community. How do you view success? I may have already asked you that question. Oh, yeah. No, you haven't asked me. I love this question. How do I view success? Yeah. The simplest way I can put it is success is having peace in your heart. There's no greater success than having peace in your heart. Being here right now and feeling great inside. It's that simple. You know who my dream is to play with? Who's that? Paul McCartney and Jimmy Page. That could totally happen. And you're rolling in the producers now where six pixels of separation. So. Oh, man, it's one degree, man. It's one degree. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you perform via YouTube for the whole guitar player magazine 08 and you were incredible on stage i just saw how you played around with the guitar and you know you looked as though you were actually studying it but it looked as though you were having so much fun at the same time so i was just laughing the whole time i watched that video man yeah it was like watching garth brooks and the whole time he's playing he's pulling the camera this way and the cameraman to the right and to the left and pushing him back and it's like he's multitasking so you had the same type of constitutional type look on your face when you were doing that and it was just hilarious that's man. so great well, i'll say something crazy that guitar i'm playing the documentary en 10 yeah is known as the garth brooks <laughs> That's funny, man. That's funny. But that's, yeah, what, man. that's what I told my wife. I was like, dude, who's he think he is? Garth Brooks or something? The guitar is my wife. Yeah. I love that guitar so much. I had so much fun with it. And flat key is really hard to do. It takes a lot of concentration. Your body's got to be in the right state. You know, you got to be fluid. you got to be relaxed. And you got to have the energy to do it. And when I'm doing it, I'm laughing and smiling a lot of time because I'm watching. I kind of become an observer and I'm going, really? What? Whoa, this is what I mean. It's like driving a race car, you know? And, yeah. and really what's going on is I'm listening. I'm not playing. In my mind, I'm listening. And I'm listening like a microsecond ahead of everyone else. So I'm hearing what I want to hear in my head. And my body, because I trained it for so many years, responds and does whatever I hear. So that's what's going on. Could you tell me a little bit about your Occupy Viral sure. song? So this goes back to the other question about surprising the president. So in a nutshell, it was really synchronistic. One, it was October 2011. I was in New York. I checked out Zuccotti Park. I met with a bunch of the organizers of Occupy Wall Street. I came home. I read an article in the New York Times that said the movement lacks a melody. And an article pissed me off, so I wrote the song. You come here and gather around the stage. The time has come for us to voice our rage against the ones who've trapped us in a cage. To steal from us the value of our wage. I wrote the song right there, and it's called We Are the Many. And on my own, I studied banking since I was a kid. And it's just an interest of mine to see how money operates. Right. You know, these are themes I'm familiar with, and I was able to articulate. So I wrote the song. My friend and I started doing a video. We're about halfway through the video in late October, early November, and like that's when I get the call from the White House to come play the APEC World Leaders Dinner. So that was on November 12th, 
2011. On November 11, remember 11, 11, 11. Yeah. I released that song on YouTube, and it immediately started going viral. And we had a few thousand hits in the first day. It was unlike anything I'd done. And I got so many messages. I mean, from people I hadn't talked to in 10 years, and they, they were so emotional. I was like, you know, shocked at their response. And everyone was like, you better play this at the dinner. And I was like, because they knew I was playing for the president. And I was like, you guys are crazy, you know? <laughs> but I kind of kept it in the back of my mind, and I told myself, look, if you feel it, do it. If you don't, don't. I'm not going to do anything out of fear or obligation. I'm just going to be sensitive to the moment. My friend gave me a T-shirt that he drew up, handmade, that Occupy with Aloha. Right. I put it on under my suit. I went up and I did my gig. And at some point during the dinner, I started playing it. I felt comfortable. I unbuttoned my shirt, revealed Occupy with Aloha, and did it. And my guitarist had videoed it. And we put it on the AP wire the next morning, and it went viral. By 8.30 that morning, I was on CNN International. Yeah. And from then on, it became the biggest story in the world on Yahoo! We for two days. not free. We'll occupy the streets. We'll occupy the court. We'll occupy the offices of you till you do the bidding of the many, not the few. The simple way to explain it is this, is that I wrote a song to inspire people to both ask and also to understand what's going on. And when I was invited to play at that dinner, it was divine intervention, the way everything came together. No human being could have planned that. And so I acted on what I felt. I faced my fear. I sang that song, but I did it in a respectful fashion. And what it did was it used the media against itself. I was able to turn the media into a platform for the people's message, not the corporate message. And that's what you're doing to me. I appreciate that. Right on, brother. You know, I mean, I am psychic, so I knew you were going to ask me that. Well, I have psychic <laughs> friends, man. <laughs> I have psychic friends. I've told everybody that. I love that manic demo of yours, man. I played it like six times. Oh, right man. on, man. Nobody's got that. You're the only one. That's because I'm DJ Grandpa. What do you expect? <laughs> yep, you're the only one who got that, brother. I wish you the best while you're on tour, and I appreciate you joining the Kickstarter community and showing them the side of your personality, adding to the collective. Thanks for the interview. Right on, brother. Mahalo. Mahalo. And I know I'm a picky son of a gun And I could have been a better friend To just about everyone But I'm a bipolar manic Obsessive romantic And I don't know how to lead a normal life I'll be as high as a kite, yeah, the day is alright, and the next moment I feel like I want to die. Now, I'm speaking with Garrett Ida and William Lamb. They're the co-creators of Dark Energy Reservoir, the portable charger. They have a campaign going on right now on Kickstarter. And I'd like to welcome you guys to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah, thank you. Okay, tell me about your product, man. Give me your sales pitch. I'll start off first, if you don't mind, William. Yeah, go for it. So we have created the Dark Energy Reservoir. It's a incredibly slim, powerful, portable charger. It's uh, less than half an inch thick, uh, yet weighs approximately 5.9 ounces. And it is so powerful 
that it can charge your average smartphone for a week. This means approximately five charges for, and you know, an iPhone 5, it's the latest iPhone. Right. But not only that, it can also charge uh, two devices at once and can charge just about anything that's USB compatible. I mean, it's really, really fantastic device. And on top of this and, and other features, one thing that we love is, is it can hold charge for a very long time. We're talking a year. Are both of you guys college students right now? We're still in college. That's right. You guys are like going out there and, you know, creating your own job. So that's kind of cool. We find that entrepreneurism and personally creating these products and allowing them to make their way into the market is something extremely exciting for us. Now, what's the whole symbolism between dark energy and your company? That's a great question. Dark energy is the force in the universe that expands, that accelerates the expansion of the universe. And our company, we want to be able to help those users who use our product to expand their universe, meaning their personal life, their social life, their school, work life, so that they can also be able to do more with their life. You guys have already surpassed your minimum funding. I just want to say congratulations. Yes, we're, uh, we're very happy to have reached $100,000. What do you have to say to your backers? I'm sure William likes to say a few things himself, but uh, personally, thank you. We could not have done this without you. Kickstarter is such a fantastic means of allowing people like myself and William and similarly-minded people to create projects, to create products that we want people to use firsthand. And without their support, this is impossible. And it would never happen. And so our backers are a dream come true to us. And we love them. We can't say enough about them. Thank you so much. That's what I'd like to say. And William? I completely agree. <laughs> and the thing with the support from our backers we're now able to say, hey, when the funding period ends, we can go ahead and start manufacturing this product and making it a reality. Just like we said in the video, we need their help, and they have extended their help to us. And now that we can all share the same vision, same dream together, and making it a reality. So, yes, thank you, our backers. In your video, you spoke of the Kickstarter community being like a movement. Could you elaborate on that? A movement, yes, definitely. Um, the reason we say that the Kickstarter community is a movement is because oftentimes out in the market, we are consumers. You know, we being consumers also don't really have a voice or a chance to say, hey, I want this or I want that, and directly in a short period of time influence what comes out, what um, we are able to, to purchase or use. Yes. and on Kickstarter, we can now forge our opinion and say, hey, I want this product. I know this product will help the world. I know this product will help myself or these people out there. And I can go ahead and create it. And these people will be like, oh, I want to support the cost. And by their experience and their excitement, we can make a product come into reality. We can build this product in such a short amount of time and make it available for the public. So it's a movement that allows people have the freedom of choosing what they really want and making that a reality together. Thank you for coming on the show and shedding some light onto your project on Kickstarter. Uh, 
dark energy reservoir, portable battery charger. And thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been great to be here. Thank you. I traveled to merry old England to talk to the very exciting Alessio Cavatore, the creator of Loca, a fantasy chess game named Loca. I love that name. Uh, yes, DJ Grandpa here. How are you? DJ Grandpa. <laughs> I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing well. So, Mr. Cavatore, why don't you tell me about your company, River Horse? Riverhouse is a company that I founded a few years ago uh, when I was still partially engaged with uh, Games Workshop. It was a, a big, much bigger player in the market. I would say the market leader in the wargaming industry. But basically, I founded Riverhouse as a first as a side project to make my own little games, my board mm. games. And just a couple of years ago, it became a full-time thing. What would you like to say to your backers? The response has been outstanding. As a creative guy, when you put something out to the public, it's terrifying. I was absolutely petrified. <laughs> you know, it's like the last few days before it goes out, you start to get like cold feet. You know, it'd be like when you're getting married and you start to go, oh no, oh no, do we really have to go through with this? Maybe, maybe we don't need to do this. Maybe we can just, you know, because until the moment you reveal it, you can, you have the feeling that it's still in, you're still in control. You can still do things. At the moment it goes out in the public, you suddenly think, what if nobody likes it? What if nobody pledges? What if I get three backers? You know, it's terrifying. And I guess, I don't want to sound too philosophical, but it's about kind of showing a bit of your soul to the, to the public. And you kind of, you're afraid of rejection. Like, you know, when, when, you, when you reveal, you said, you tell somebody you like them, you love them, and you go, oh, what if they say they don't? Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, you have that uh, fear, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of all of that. So to the backers, we burst through the, the first hurdle and then we just got through the second one and seeing the thing that is taking really literally taking shape in front of me is is exhilarating it is a great feeling and uh, well i cannot thank them enough really it's great now mantic has been down this road before so you've aligned your river horse with a company that can manufacture and fulfill these type of demands if your game keeps bursting through stretch goal territory and I guess I also want to say that if you're in stretch goal territory and, you know, you've done one or two or more of these stretch goals, I think you can rest assured that they love you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been good, yes, and Mantic have been very good. And, of course, they've put their uh, both their expertise with Kickstarter, their expertise with manufacturing, and, and more importantly, also the the networking, the, their community, the, the fact that they have, you know, this great number of people that are are into their stuff and they like them. They probably follow me as well for my career. So no, it's certainly a powerful ally in this crusade, certainly, yes. Are you a lover of chess? Absolutely, yes. I was almost the point of becoming good at chess when I was a kid. <laughs> and then I saw the big books, the big tomes, and the big a lot of amount of studying that you, you really need to study seriously apply yourself to it you know to become really good that's the reality of it it's not just about being good it's about studying hard and uh, i was a young lad and uh, i was already going to school and i thought no you know what <laughs> this is this is too much so out of laziness really I, I kind of didn't make the final kind of attempt of trying to become really good at it 
I just wanted to say that the name Loka, it's a very beautiful name for a game. Does it mean something? Loka means world in the sense of uh, the material world, but more like the universe. There's a lot of Lokas in the Hindu religion, mm-hmm. uh, which are different worlds interconnected. And uh, so I always try to put references to mythology to the in this case i use the four elements because again i found fascinating the fact that some of the elements in ancient india you can find them in greek philosophy from the language to the actual concepts like the elements mm. and it's not the case that the dice that we use in the game are shaped in the, along the same symbols that we use in that the plato used in his philosophy to describe the elements. <laughs> so it's all, you know, uh, there's some mysticism in it, if you want, that I like to, to, to you know, to put an, in the background for people that can appreciate that. Now, could you tell me about the world of Loka? Loka is, uh, has been a long, long time in coming, as in I, a few years ago, quite a few, 2008, I started uh, along the, the route of trying to create something that was a, a product that was bridging chess with wargaming chess obviously is well known wargaming less so but uh, let's say that the biggest most famous wargame really is uh, Warhammer uh, what Games Workshop does but we're talking about a still a hobby that is very niche is very small compared with uh, mainstream stuff and Loka was created basically with the idea of trying to make a game which is as easy to learn as easy to basically to get to know like chess as in chess is very well known so it's something that is very simple because war games tend to have a lot of complex rules while actually chess is very simple very streamlined very uh, approachable as far as the complexity of the rules however war games is less precise is more fun is more when i say fun i mean is less serious yes war gaming is more random has got dice in it, which makes the outcome of combat a bit more, you know, unpredictable. Yes. I was trying to get the best of both worlds. So you do your research as far as history and mythology, and you combine all of those elements to to give you ideas to make yeah. the next game. Yeah, most certainly. Yes. Yeah. All right. I'm speaking with Alessio Cavatur from the United Kingdom at the moment, and he has a fundraising campaign going on right now on Kickstarter called Loka World of Fantasy Chess. And if you'd like to check it out, go to kickstarter.com, type in the word Loka, L-O-K-A, or Fantasy Chess, and that'll bring it up. And if you can't find it there, always go to djgrandpa.com, which we will have links about Alessio and his company, River Horse. Thank you very much for coming on the show, sir. Thank you very much for having me. And now, the Poetry Crib with our world citizen, Theron Kennedy. What do you have for us this week, dude? Theron's Poetry Crib. So, man, I got visibilificationism to start us off. I can't pronounce that, but go ahead. I made that up myself, I think. I hope. (laughs) All right, then. Visibilification, guilty by association, spiritual, sexual, intellectual desegregation is almost infamous. Mentalist, ignorance is blissful slavery. Ain't no need in saving me. 
I'm the pimp of my destiny and the gangster of my fate, and I'm the best thing to happen to rap since 808s and heartbreak. If I die before I wake, never fake they eulogize me. He lies the visibilificator, known on both sides of the equator and throughout the universe. Like dead MCs, they resurrect my verse and study the code like disciples. New art of war. Lay down your rifles and your handguns together forever, never to be undone. That's it? That's it. That's sure, but I like it, man. I like oh. it. I like it. I like it. And that's called visivism something. Visivification? <laughs> Visibilificationism. Now, what does that mean, Theron? I mean, this is only your second episode on the Poetry Crib, on your own crib. And you're starting to get yeah. all abstract on me. I don't know. Yeah, Where are got, you coming from, man? Where are you coming from? It just means essentially uh, I have the ability to raise visibility. Right. That's about as simple as I can put it. I don't know. I like to play with words, and I like to color outside the lines, and that's what that's kind of what visibilificationism is about. Okay. It's kind of like a new version of uh, Ultramagnetic or something like that. You, you try not to be seen, and even though you try not to be seen, everybody still has all eyes on you. I, I get that. I get that. I think if you read between the lines of what he just said, there's something about to pop off. <laughs> all right, then. Okay. Thank you for Theron's Poetry Crit. Okay, before we close this week, I'd like to give a shout out to one of our Kickstarter alum, Rick Seward of Griffin and Eagle Games. He has a Kickstarter project winding down right now. It's called Triassic Terror. Check it out on Kickstarter. I'd like to thank all our guests this week, and a special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams for contributing the theme song to DJ Grandpa's Crip. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus. Yeah.